There's one tribe that didn't get counted, and we're going to be introduced to that tribe today as we read this passage, the Levites. They weren't part of the army. And then so we're going to, we're going to be introduced to the Levites here. And then what we're looking at in chapter 2 is the way the camp was set up. The way this, the, these armies were to, were to set up their camp. And, and the way they were to march out when it was time to march. And so that's what we're looking at as we read these verses. Starting in Numbers 1, verse 47. But the Levites were not listed along with them by their ancestral tribe. For the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not list, and you shall not take a census of them among the people of Israel. But appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, and over all its furnishings, and over all that belongs to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings, and they shall take care of it, and shall camp around the tabernacle. When the tabernacle is to set out, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall uh, set it up. And if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. The people of Israel shall pitch their tents by their companies, each man in his own camp, and each man by his own standard. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, so that there may, so that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the people of Israel. And the Levites shall keep guard over the tabernacle of the testimony. Thus did the people of Israel, they did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. Chapter 2. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, The people of Israel shall camp each by his own standard with the banners of their fathers' houses. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. Those to camp on the east side toward the sunrise shall be of the standard of the camp of Judah by their companies, the chief of the people of Judah being Nashon, the son of Amminadab. His company is listed being 74,600. Those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar, the chief of the people of Issachar being Nathaniel, the son of Zuar. His company as listed being 54,400. Then the tribe of Zebulun, the chief of the people of Zebulun, being Eliab, the son of Helon, his company is listed being 57,400. All those listed of the camp of Judah by their companies were 186,400. They shall set out first on the march. On the south side shall be the standard of the camp of Reuben by their companies, the chief of the people of Reuben, being Eleazar, the son of Shadur, his company as listed being 46,500. And those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Simeon, the chief of the people of Simeon, being Shalumiel, the son of Zerashaddai, his company as listed being 59,300. Then the tribe of Gad, the chief of the people of Gad, being Eliasif, the son of Reuel, his company as listed being 45,650. All those listed of the camp of Reuben by their companies were 151,400. They shall set out second. Then the tent of meeting shall set out with the camp of the Levites in the midst of the camps. As they camp, so shall they set out, each in its position, standard by standard. On the west side shall be the standard of the camp of Ephraim by their companies, the chief of the people of Ephraim being Elishim, or the son of Amahud, his company as listed being 40,500. And next to him shall be the tribe of Manasseh, the chief of the people of Manasseh, being Gamaliel, the son of Pedazar, his company as listed being 32,200. Then the tribe of Benjamin, the chief of the people of Benjamin, being Abidin, the son of Gideonai, his company as listed being 35,400. All those listed of the camp of Ephraim by their companies were 108,100. They shall set out third on the march. On the north side shall be the standard of the camp of Dan by their companies, the chief of the people of Dan being Ahaziar, the son of Amishaddai. His company is listed being 62,700. And those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Asher, the chief of the people of Asher being Pagiel, the son of Akron. His company as listed being 41,500. Then the tribe of Naphtali, the chief of the people of Naphtali being Ahira, the son of Enan, and his company as listed being 53,400. All those listed of the company of Dan were 157,600. They shall set out last standard by standard. 
These are the people of Israel as listed by their fathers' houses. All those listed in the camps by their companies were 603,550. But the Levites were not listed among the people of Israel as the Lord commanded Moses. Thus did the people of Israel, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so they camped by their standards, and so they set out each one in his clan according to his father's house. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you arranged this camp. We pray that you would help us to learn from your scripture this morning, that you would grow us in your grace. We thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. You can learn a lot about a group of people um, by their sleeping arrangements. You can learn a lot about uh, family dynamics if you see how people, uh, where the people sleep, where the bedrooms are, who sleeps where. You get a little bit of a sense of family dynamics. Um, For instance, up until a few weeks ago, um, I slept on the side of the bed that was closer to the wall. My wife slept on the side of the bed that was closer to the, the bedroom door and then the outside world and all the peril that lurks out in the outside world. A few weeks ago, and I'm not, this is not a slam on them whatsoever. I love them and I'm thankful for them. It's, I just find it funny. A few weeks ago, the Warsaw police came in through our back door yelling, Warsaw police, Warsaw police. Um, and, and everybody in the house woke up, except for the, the two little ones who sleep through anything. Um, everybody in the house woke up and, uh, and scared my wife half to death. Um, they, the Warsaw police thought that we had called 911. They thought that our security alarm had gone off. We had not called 911. We do not have a security alarm. They were looking for our neighbor's house, which they found, and it was fine, um, eventually. Um, it, it, it shook my wife. It, it made me laugh. Once I woke up and realized what was going on, it was just kind of funny to me. But it, it sort of shook my wife, and so now she's got this idea that people could just come into our house in the middle of the night, which is true. Um, and so she has me sleeping closer to all of that danger. Um, she's, she's very concerned about her own mental health and, and, and emotional wellness and safety, and she's less concerned about mine, so she has me sleep there, and she sleeps you know, closer to safety, which is good. It's good. If you look at uh, the, our bedroom set up in our house, you'll, you'll notice that um, Abby has her own room. That's because she's the oldest, right? So she has her own room. Some of you even helped us to build the wall that created that room for her. Um, if you look, you'd also see that Haddon has her own room. Uh, this is another family dynamic power structure thing. Haddon is the youngest. Uh, another family dynamic power structure thing, if you came into our house at 5 a.m., which don't, that's weird, but if you did, uh, chances are you'd see Haddon in bed with mom and dad um, because she's the youngest and she gets away with that kind of stuff. Like the, the, the older five, if they would have come in at 4.30 or 5 in the morning to our bed, we'd say, no, go back to sleep. But I don't know. Haddon's the last baby and I don't, I don't know. Don't ask me. But there's a, there's a family dynamics there as well. You can learn a lot about a group of people from their sleeping arrangements. Um, And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at the camp layout for the armies of Israel. The people of Israel, when they go out to march, and then they, 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 they come to a place to rest and to set up camp for the evening, to rest, for the night, to sleep, we're, gonna, we're looking at their layout. They are, they're going to make a square. 
All right, and they are they are making they are making a square, and we're going to look at that camp layout this morning, and we're going to be able to tell um, some stuff. We're going to be able to learn some things about the way this is laid out. We're not going to learn so much about the people of Israel, although that is part of what we're going to learn. The the, the main thing we're going to learn here is we're going to learn three really important truths about the presence of God. We're going to learn from this camp layout, we're going to learn three really important truths um, about the presence of God. So as we look at these sleeping arrangements, let's be thinking through these three important truths. Number one, first important truth God wants to teach us here is, is that the holy presence of God is essential. Truth number one, as we look at this camp layout, we see that the holy presence of God is essential. We were introduced to the Levites at the end of chapter one. We get, we, in this, so we're going to learn way more about them um, in chapter three and chapter four. We're going to learn a lot about the Levites. Um, but here we just kind of see that we see a, a very a very simple introduction to them and a basic understanding uh, of what they were all about. And we see that what they were all about is the tabernacle. They were in charge of the tabernacle. They were not to go to war. They were not to worry about being in, being in the army. They were not to concentrate on anything else except for the tabernacle. The tabernacle is is the tent that they carried with them, and it's it's where the the Ark of, of the Covenant was, the, the symbol of the presence of God. The tabernacle was, was the evidence of God's dwelling with His people. The, the tabernacle was the way that God dwelt with His people. All right, so the, And the Levites were in charge of maintaining it, taking care of it. They were in charge of, of, of tearing it down when it was time to march. They were, ty- they were in charge of setting it up when it, was, when it was time to rest. They were in charge of the tabernacle. This was, their, this was their job. And the tabernacle was to be in the very center of the camp. If you look at chapter 2, verse 2, the people of Israel shall camp each by his own standard, which was like their, their family crest. Each family had a, some sort of crest. And then with the banners of their fathers' houses, right? And then they shall camp, it says in verse 2, they shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. They were to make a square, uh, three tribes on the, on the south, three, three tribes on the north, three tribes on the west, and three tribes on the east. They were making a square around the tabernacle, and they were all to face the tabernacle. They were, every single time they set up camp, they were to remember God is the focus. God is essential. We need the presence of God. If we're not with God, then, then there is no point to any of this. God is who we need. And this, Moses says this actually to God Himself back in Exodus 33. Back in Exodus 33, uh, Moses says to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Moses is saying, don't even, let's not even do this promised land thing. Let's not even do it if you won't be with us. He says, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? This is how we know that you are with us, God, and you love us. 
This is how we, we know that we're okay with you if you are with us. It says so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. Moses is saying the promised land is no big deal if you're not there, God. Lots of other nations have nice lands to live in. Don't give us the promised land if you're not going to be there with us. Moses says to God, your presence is essential. And this is how it's always been for the people of God. We need the presence of God. We need God to be with us. Otherwise, we have nothing. We cannot be eternally safe without God. We cannot have eternal joy without God. There is no eternal meaning and significance without God. The people of God are the people of God. His word is to be our guide. His grace is to be our strength. His glory is to be our great aim in life. He is central. Every time the Israelites set up camp, they said, oh yes, this is who we're building our lives around. This is what we need. We need the presence of God. This is what made the Garden of Eden so wonderful. They were with God. This is what makes sin so awful. It separates us from God. This is what makes the Gospel such glorious good news. It brings us back to God. And this is why heaven is going to be amazing. Because we are going to be with God forever. The holy presence of God is essential. God showed me this week through His Spirit, through His grace, through convicting me, He showed me this week that there are ways that I am not finding my contentment and my joy in Him. There are ways where I am not um, looking to Him for courage and for faith. There are ways where He is not central to me where I am not living as if He is essential. God has reminded me through His Word, and I am thankful that He, through His Spirit, through His Word, by His grace, reminds us of what is important and re-centers us. If God is not with us, then nothing else matters. The holy presence of God is essential. His word is to be our guide. His grace is to be our strength. His glory is to be our greatest aim. We are the people of God. So that's the first thing we see by this, by this camp layout. We see that the holy presence of God is essential. Now, the second thing we see is that the holy presence of God is dangerous. It is essential but it is also dangerous. I'm going to read um, verses 51 through 53 of chapter 1 again. As we think about what the Levites were in charge of. In 51 it says, When the tabernacle is to set out, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. Listen to this. And if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. 
God has authorized the Levites, the, the priests, the Levites, and them only to be anywhere near the tabernacle, to be anywhere near His holy presence. Only the Levites were allowed. Only because God Himself had authorized them. The people of Israel, in verse 52, uh, the people of Israel shall pitch their tents by their companies, each man in his own camp and each man by his own standard. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony so that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the people of Israel. The Levites shall keep guard over the tabernacle of the testimony. The the Levites are going to be security guards. They're going to be this layer of, among other things, they're going to be this layer of security guards between the tent of of meeting, the the tabernacle, right? The tabernacle, the presence of God. They're going to be a, a, a layer of security between the tabernacle and the people. So you have this big square. You have the people gathered around, camped around the tabernacle. But in between the, the armies and the tabernacle, you have this layer of security guards. And they don't need to protect God. They're not protecting God. When we think of security guards, we think of people who keep the president safe or keep a celebrity safe. That's what we think of. No, no. When, when, when people... When, when, when the, the Levites are serving as security guards, they're protecting the people. If any, if anyone came in, tried to, tried to go into the tabernacle, the Levites would have to put them to death. Why is that? So that the rest of the congregation would be saved. So that God in His holy wrath would not destroy the rest of the people. This was a matter of life and death. So the, so the Levites said, no, you cannot come anywhere near. You must stay back. And they were willing to use violent force if needed. Why is that? Why is that? Why can't the people just come, come into the tent of meeting? Why can't they just come into the tabernacle? Why can't anybody just come on in? Because God is holy. He's holy. And, and a big part of God's holiness is it must be a violent hatred for sin. If, if God is to truly be holy, He must have a violent hatred for sin. And the thing is, I mean, and, and of course this disturbs us on some level. Of course it does. Of course it does. Of course it scares us a little bit. It should. But the thing is, We need God to be holy. We need God to have a violent hatred for sin. It is an absolute must. If God is not holy, if God is not holy, if God does not have a violent hatred for sin, then then there's no hope for justice in this world. There's no hope for actual right and wrong to, to to be judged rightly. There's no hope for goodness to be rewarded. There's no hope for evil to to be punished. If God is not holy, and if God is not perpetually, always, constantly setting the standard of holiness for the rest of the universe, we have nothing but chaos. You want Hitler to get what's coming to him. And if that's going to happen, God has to be perfectly holy. So we want this. This is what makes the holy presence of God essential. 
If God was just like the rest of us, well, who needs another one of us? We'll be fine without him. If, if you know, we'll just, we'll just make do. No. The reason God's holy presence is essential is, is the same reason it's dangerous. He is not one of us. And we need him to not be one of us. We need him to be so holy that he is dangerous to any kind of sin. But as you look at this and you think, you think about what God, how God designed things in the Garden of Eden as, as He walked and talked in just this completely open, safe way with His people. And they just enjoyed unfettered, all-access pass to God. Adam and Eve had an all-access pass to God. And they walked with Him and they talked with Him and they were safe. And then they ruined it through their sin. And now they're no longer safe to come near to God. As you think about that, you realize this isn't the final solution for God. This is not, this is not the end of His plan. This dwelling in this tent, but keeping His people away from Him at a safe distance where He is, he is with them, His presence is with them, but He's keeping everybody at a at an arm's length. And, and if a sinful person gets too close, the situation becomes volatile. It becomes dangerous. We know that this is not, this is not God's final plan. This cannot be because this is not a return to Eden. This is not a return to unfettered, all-access relationship to God. There must be more to it What's the answer? What's the answer? We have to have God with us. But we're in danger that He'll kill us. Rightfully. Because we are sinful and He is holy. What do we do about this? Well, we can't do anything. God can and God does. And that's what brings us to our third and final truth. Not only is the holy presence of God essential, and not only is it dangerous, but as we look at this camp layout this morning, we see that the holy presence of God is promised. There is the promise. There is the promise of of unfettered, all-access pass here in this camp layout. If you look at chapter 2 and you, and you look down at verse 3, you'll see that, that those to camp on the east side toward the sunrise shall be of the standard of the camp of Judah by their, by their companies. And then if you look down at verse 9, you'll see that Judah is the tribe who will set out first on the march. Judah is the leading tribe. Judah is the commanding tribe. When they go out to march, it is Judah who is in charge. This tribe of Judah is at the vanguard. They are at the front. They are at the front. They are commanding. Now that's weird. This is weird. This would be if you were, if you were tracking, um, the history of the people of Israel at this time, 
This is weird. Because Judah is not the oldest of Jacob's sons. These twelve tribes, they come from the twelve sons of Jacob. Jacob's oldest son was Reuben. If, if things would have been normal, if things would have been normal, if things would have been how, how we expect them to be, Reuben would have been the, 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 the tribe that camps to the east. And they're the ones that set out first on the march. But they're not. They're not. God has built into this camp layout a beautiful promise. God has a plan to bring His people near. God is saying to us, by situating Judah at the front, by saying, Judah, you're going to camp in the east and you're going to march out first. By saying that to us, God is saying, I have a good plan. I have a good plan to to be with my people and to give them eternal safety in my presence. To give them an all-access pass that's never going to run out. I have a good plan. This is what God is saying to us by putting Judah where he puts us. If he put where where he puts him. If you look back at Genesis chapter 49, if you look at Genesis 49 and you listen in as Jacob is giving his blessing to all of his 12 sons. He's giving his blessing to his sons who are going to become the tribes of Israel. He cuts he gets to his fourth son. He gets to Judah. Fourth son. And again, in this culture, in, in this way of life, the fourth son should have gotten a couple leftovers and that's it. He really should have been a nobody. Reuben should have been the one getting everything. But he doesn't. Jacob gets the big promise. He gets the big blessing. He gets the big future. Jacob says to Judah, Or rather, Judah gets the the big blessing. Jacob says to Judah, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. He says in verse 9 of, of, of Genesis 49, Jacob says to Judah, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion. And as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So centuries earlier, Jacob says to Judah, there is a, there is a lion coming from your tribe. Now, this is, this would have been so weird to hear as Judah, and like if you were just, if all you had was the book of Genesis, you would have a hard time knowing what Jacob was talking about. But as we think about what Jacob told Judah, and we think about it in, in reference to the whole Bible, as we see the whole story of God unfold, we see that, that there is a, a lion coming from the tribe of Judah. 
And this line is going to rule and to reign. There is going to be a king who is known as the Lion of Judah. And he is going to rule and he's going to reign. And he's going to reign forever. He's going to reign forever. The scepter will never depart from him. The, the, the ruler's staff will never depart from him. He's going to rule and reign forever. And he's not just going to rule over the people of Israel, but it says the obedience of all the peoples are going to come to him. He's, I mean, he's going, to have, he's going to have people in his kingdom from every kingdom on earth. There's a lion coming. David comes from the line of Judah. And David is a good king. He's a great king. He's a powerful king. He's a successful king. But he doesn't reign forever. He doesn't reign forever. But there is someone who is born to the tribe of Judah, the line of David. In fact, in the city of David. Son of God is born. Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus of Nazareth is the answer to God's plan that we see just hints of here. God's plan to give you and I all access to His holy, dangerous presence. Back in Jacob's blessing to Judah, Jacob says something that made no sense at the time. And it made no sense... Genesis through Malachi. It made no sense. He says, he says in, in chapter 49, verse 11, about the Lion of Judah, about this great king who's going to reign forever, he says, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. A few weeks ago, we celebrated Palm Sunday together and we remembered that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the, on the colt of a donkey. Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying for all those who have eyes to see, all those for, who have ears to hear, I am the lion of the tribe of Judah. I am the reason that God gave Judah preeminence back in Numbers chapter 2. I am He. I am the Lion of Judah. Jesus is the only one, Jesus of Nazareth, the only person who should have been safe in the holy presence of God. He's the only one who, if, if He would have lived... During the, I mean, if he would have been, if he would have lived on earth, if he would have had his ministry on earth during the time of the tabernacle, during the time of the, the Levites standing guard around the tabernacle, if, if Jesus would have lived on earth during that time, he should have had unfettered all access pass. He should have been able to walk right up to the Levites and said, guys, put the swords away. I know God won't allow sin in there, but He'll allow me in there. Jesus should have been safe in the, in the holy, dangerous presence of God because He Himself was perfectly holy. 
He never sinned. He was innocent. He can go, he can go into the presence of God and not worry about the, the wrath of God spilling out on the congregation. Jesus should have been safe. But on the cross, we see he wasn't safe. The wrath of God came pouring down on him. Why? He never sinned. Because on the cross, He was taking the blame for my sin and your sin. The only one who should have been safe wasn't. And now you and I and all those who believe who shouldn't be safe, we are. Because Jesus has come up to us and he's taken that, that lanyard with his all-access pass and he said, I've got one for you. And I've got one for you. Go on in. Jesus has said to the Levites, you guys can retire. You guys can retire. You guys can put your swords away. These people are with me. They have an all-access pass. They can draw near to the throne of grace anytime they want. Because on the cross, I have paid for their sins. They are now safe. They are now safe. I hope you've believed this. I hope you've believed that yes, Yes, the, 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 <laughs> the holiness of God is a dangerous, scary thing. And that we rightfully stand condemned before Him. He is holy. And then I also hope you've believed that Jesus, by living a perfectly holy life Himself, and even though he deserved no wrath whatsoever, and he deserved to be completely safe in the presence of his Father, he wasn't. He took the blame for our sin. He took the punishment for our sin. I hope you've believed that. I hope you've trusted Jesus as your only way to be forgiven of your sin and to be given this all-access pass to God himself forever. And if you haven't believed that, if you have questions about that, uh, please reach out to us. I'll try to help you with any questions you might have. And if you have believed, then, then maybe... Maybe you were struggling like I was this week. Maybe God hasn't been as essential in your heart and in your mind as He deserves to be. And maybe there are ways where um, you're not looking to His Word for guidance. You're not looking to His grace for contentment and for strength. You're not aiming for His glory above all else. And I will tell you, I will tell you, even though the Levites are gone, and even though Jesus has, has put this all-access pass around our neck, and even though we can go to the throne of grace whenever we need to, 
we still feel like the people in numbers sometimes. We still feel like, you know what, it'd be just best for me to keep my distance. I've sinned against God so much this week, there's no way. There's no way He has time for me right now. He sees me coming, He's going to stick a Levite at the door. If that's the way you're struggling right now, believe the Gospel. Believe that, that not only has Jesus said to the Levites, you guys can, you guys can take a, a, a permanent break. But he said to us, come on in. Come on in. You have, you have unfettered all access to the, to the, to the throne of grace. Do you need courage? You can ask God Himself. The holy, dangerous God of the universe loves you so much that He sent His Son to die so that you can be brought near. If you need courage, you can ask for it. If you need forgiveness, you can ask for it. If you need contentment, you can ask for it. If you need wisdom, you can ask for it. Jesus should have been safe, but he walked into the dangerous wrath of God so that you can, can have unfettered all access. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the book of Numbers. We pray that you'd help us to just get it, to just have it in our hearts, to see it, to have it in our hearts by your grace, by your spirit, that you would work the truth of your word deep into us. And if we're hanging out on the outskirts and if we're afraid to talk to you, if we feel weird, if we feel, if we feel insufficient, if we feel too broken, if we feel like you just don't have time for us, I pray that you'd help us to believe the gospel to, and, to, and to reach and to cry out to you for wisdom, for courage, for forgiveness, for mercy, for strength. We thank you that, that Jesus has, 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 given the, has given the Levites the eternity off and he's brought us near to you. It's in his name we pray. Amen.